came to pass that sin got real bad. And then it got worse. And God saw that it got worse. And God was grieved at how bad the sin had gotten. And, and even gets to the point where God says that there has to be something done about it. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace was given to Noah, but as we've talked about, the only way to truly receive that gift is to do so by faith. We find that Noah was not a perfect man in the sense of the word that we see here in the English. It's the idea of being complete. He was just. He was righteous. He was a faithful man. And we know that because he walked with God. Only one other had been told that, we walked, that he walked with God. And that was one of his uh, grandfathers in his lineage, Enoch, who walked with God. Uh, and it says about Enoch two times in chapter 5, in two different verses, that Enoch walked with God. That is a testimony of faith. And then we get into now verse 11 to 13 that wraps up this section where God is pronouncing what is about to come upon the world. And the next section in chapter 6 is going to get into some of the specifics of what God is going to tell Noah to do in preparation of the ark. And as we're going to see as we get deeper and deeper into this over the next few chapters, that the ark is going to be a beautiful picture of Christ, that one must be in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to escape the future judgment that is coming. Uh, we see just a, a, a fraction of how bad it's going to get today. Right? It's going to get much, much worse. Now here, let's read here, verse 11 to 13. And we'll jump right into this. We've got a lot to cover tonight. It says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This is a frightening passage to see just how bad it's gotten. The whole idea is what we have seen is two things in this passage so far from verses 1 through verse 13, and that is an incredible amount of sexual sin and perversion, then as well an incredible amount of violence that has now been brought in. And with this, these are just the side effects of an idolatrous heart. There will be no immorality unless there is idolatry. You say, well, wasn't idolatry just worshiping little golden idols and statues and images? Don't you think that was happening during this day? Of course it was, but I can tell you what they were worshiping. It's pretty clear they were worshiping sex and they were worshiping violence. They were worshiping power because they were full of pride. They were full of oneself. Anytime you have people or a people, whether it be a nation, a group of people, or even an individual that is absolutely overwhelmed with thoughts of perverse sexuality and violence, you can rest assured that that is someone who has an idolatrous heart. They are wrestling with knowing God as they ought to, but yet they are rejecting Him and living for themselves. They have made themselves their own God. Sin worships the flesh. And this is what sexual immorality, this is what violence does. The world is full of corruption and violence. Phillips puts it this way, Vice and violence were the order of the day. Horrible sins were flaunted and applauded. The same kind of thing is fast becoming accepted in the modern world. Here's the progression of sin, right? We've got sin that kind of gets brought in, and it's not good. And it affects everything. Anytime you sin, it does not just affect you. It affects the world around you. It affects your communion with God. It affects your environment. It affects your home. It affects your relationship with other people, right? If your relationship with God is not right, your relationship with others is not going to be right. It can't be right. And so we see that it starts off here, but it slowly then gets tolerated 
right? Or maybe, maybe before toleration, sin gets ignored, right? When sin is ignored, then ignored sin will be eventually become tolerated sin. Now, you ever got cobwebs in your house that you know you're supposed to get, but you just ain't got to them yet? Okay, right? A few of us, right? We kind of ignore those things, don't we? But what would we say? Are we really ignoring them or are we tolerating them? We're not just ignoring them. We know that they're there. Now we're beginning to tolerate them. Once we start living with it, once we start living with filth, then we start, we start ignoring it, then we start tolerating it. Now we're living amongst it, living in it, and eventually it becomes from being tolerated to then being accepted. And now once it has been accepted, well, it's not that big of a deal that the cobwebs are there in the first place. You know, it, it goes from, you know, I, uh, my house is just lived in, and now I'm living in a dirty house, but now I don't even say it's just lived in. It is dirty, but you know, it's, it's okay. That's just me. That's not good, is it? And so now we've gone from having a sin, ignoring the sin, right? Now we're tolerating it, and now we've accepted it where we're just, well, this is a part of life. Sin might be a part of this cursed world, but never should we be at the place where we tolerate sin in our personal life. Let alone the world, let alone the church. Ghosts being tolerated, being accepted, to then being promoted. Now this is what's happening in Noah's day. But it's what's happened in our day. Do you remember that there was a time not so long ago in American history where certain things that are promoted or accepted today would never even be thought of or heard of? There still used to be shame. I'm not even talking about the, just the violence and the sexual perversion that's in our land today. We used to not tolerate gossipers in our churches. Y'all ever heard? We don't say this, uh, this phrase anymore. It, right now, now it, it sort of gives kind of shivers, right? Of like, oh, no. But for the few of that, that you know what it's like. You ever heard of getting churched before? It don't happen anymore, does it? Why? You know why there's not church discipline in churches? It's because we've ignored sin, tolerated sin, accepted sin, and now, now we're promoting it because now we're talking about, well, let's get on the phone when we disagree with somebody, or let's do this, let's think. all these, And this happens everywhere. Right? So we're not just talking about the, the big sins, if you will, that us Baptists like to talk about. We go, oh, well, you could see the signs of the times because of abortion, because of this movement, that movement, whatever it might be. Right? You name it, right? And it, and it sins, certainly. We've got to understand that we've got our own sin that we tolerate. We've got our own sin that we've accepted, and that's not good. The Holy Spirit and every believer does not want to live in a dirty home. Nor does He deserve to live in a dirty home. We are His temple. Now, if you would get upset at me because this place is dirty and going, somebody's got to clean this place, right? How do you think you ought to feel if there is sin abiding in your life? Holy Spirit will only tolerate it so much. And the thing about this, all that we lose because we begin to ignore, tolerate, accept sin, and we think that we don't promote it, but there's a fine line between accepting and promoting. And you can ride the fence one way or the other, and it's an easy fall, right? Now, I want to look tonight at some types of these sinfulness that we're seeing in Noah's day, and that we're seeing in our day, all right? So there's a few couple places. One, uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you get to 2 Timothy, go back to Timothy, alright? <laughs> you'll, you'll make it. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
tells us this. In verse 1 through 3, it says, Now the Spirit, that's capital, speaketh expressly that in the latter times, are we living in the latter times? Yes. Was the Apostle Paul living in the latter times? Yes. When are the latter times? The moment that Jesus Christ ascends from the Father, that began the end times. We've been living in the end days for nearly 2,000 years. But those end days are eventually going to end. Right? Sooner than we realize, sooner than we want, sooner than we think, and when it happens, it will be far too late. This is how quick the end times come. Right? We're not waiting for anything else. That's it. I'm waiting for a trumpet. I'm waiting for the Lord. That is imminent. We need nothing else to get to that point. That is a motivation. Now, as we look here, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe know the truth. Here we find just a, a small glimpse of what was happening and what's happening in our day in the latter times of this, uh, this falling away from biblical doctrine, right doctrine. Now go over one more, Timothy. All right? Go over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is, is writing his last words to Timothy, and he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Does he say that they're going to get better or easy? Does he say easy times will come, comforting times will come? No, he says perilous times. Perilous means perilous. He says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. I've never heard of such. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. That's just the Baptist. <laughs> yeah. And think about this. He says this is how bad it gets. And it gets worse. He says, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despised of those that are, not, uh, that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. It's a bad place, isn't it? And yet, Paul says, Timothy, it's going to happen in your day. If it's going to happen in Timothy's day, do you think it's going to happen in our day? It is happening in our day. We're already there. Furthermore, you look at verse 13 of chapter 3, it says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, I find that interesting. The ones in this world today that deceive are deceived themselves. Everyone that preaches a false doctrine that deceives well-meaning people, and there's plenty of that today, each one of them are deceived themselves. They are being deceived by the father of lies, the devil himself, and they are now being used by their father to deceive others. That's a bad place, and yet it's all around us. You say, how can we avoid this deception? Know your Bible doctrine. Not just with your mind, but believe it with all your heart. Because if you do, you will live it out. We don't need to box ourselves in or to put our head in the sand or to ignore it or tolerate it or accept it. Now is the time to do what Paul then told Timothy in the next chapter, and that's preach the Word. Be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine. Right? The times will come when they shall not endorse sound doctrine, but shall heap themselves teachers having itching ears. You know why they got itching ears? You know why 
The ears itch because they're not washed. Think about that. They're itching for teaching because they have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They want religion. Or they maybe say, well, I just want a relationship. Right? That sounds nice and spiritual. But it ignores an awful lot of doctrine. What it wants is I want you to teach me because teaching is never going to chip away anything in my life. Teaching will give me the law and give me something to do. It will give me something to obey. It will give me something to learn. So as long as I have that, I feel as if I'm moving spiritually. We're in that day, and I can tell you that as a preacher. I'm, I'm a preacher first. Teacher, is, it's, on, it's, it's down the line. And I know this is normally the, the teaching service, but there's a difference in teaching and preaching. And if you don't know the difference, and you've probably never heard preaching before, right? Furthermore, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. There's probably several of you sitting out there who've been waiting. Is it going to get to Romans? Is it going to get to Romans? Romans 1 is sort of the quintessential, this is how bad it's going to get. Romans chapter 1 says, For the wrath of God, in verse number 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. We've been talking on Sunday mornings about God revealing. Does He reveal? Absolutely. But here we find that man has not responded by faith. Man has responded in the flesh. Man has responded in rebelliousness. He says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. Meaning this, that's the idea of not just simply thinking, well, you know, maybe there's something more powerful out there, but going, I have to answer to that higher power. It's His Godhead. It's His deity. It's His Lordship. It's His authority. He says, so that they are without excuse. There is not one soul on this planet that has an excuse when they stand before God. There will be countless souls, and I want you to get this for a moment tonight. There will be countless souls that will die and go to hell and they've never gotten a chance to read the Bible in their language like you have tonight. And yet God says they're without excuse as well. But you know something? We're not without excuse to not make sure that they get to hear. I've got no excuse why I've not gone into all the world and preached the Gospel. I have no excuse why I don't witness as I ought to or as faithful as I ought to or as prayerful as I ought to be, I've got no excuse either. He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. But became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We live in such a day, don't we? And changed the glory of the, of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. What would we call that? Idolatry. We're all waiting for the rest of the passage that gets into the immorality. Tell us all about that sinful stuff. Give that whole list out, right? Nail it to them. It starts, though, in the heart. A darkened, idolatrous heart. Notice this. It says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I love that even in the midst of this judgment that Paul is bringing down about all these sins, he stops and says, I'm still going to praise God anyways. 
The God that they're rejecting is the God that I'm going to praise who's blessed forever. Amen. And then he gets on, he says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. That's happening today. This is not just dealing with some sort of lesbian sexual issue. I believe this is dealing with a much deeper issue of being perfectly fine and promoting the killing of babies. Who carries a child, man or woman? Woman. It is a natural thing. And those that, and you can find this, testimonies of laughing at how many abortions they've had. It's a frightening thing to think about. But then he says, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. We went from tolerating to accepting to promoting both of these both of these things, and it's much more than just a sexual sin. It has changed now. Notice, we all know the acronym, right? The LGBTQ+. The plus, it seems as if it goes on and on because every day there is a new gender that comes out, and it's not a real one, but it's it's a new one that gets promoted and taught. There's a new acceptance of it. There's a new toleration. As a matter of fact, if you do not tolerate, it's not enough merely to, to tolerate somebody now, right? In a respectful, you're a human being, I'm a human being, we can agree to disagree. That's not tolerated anymore. Toleration is not tolerated. You must either accept or promote or you're a bigot. That's where we're at. Now, furthermore, he says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Here's the all unrighteousness. Fornication. That covered the previous verses, doesn't it? Wickedness. Covetousness. Maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Notice that. Inventors of evil things. Now what do we find about the days of Noah? It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was very great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What in the world do you think that's talking about? They're inventing sin. It's the idea that they are inventing all sorts of evil things and creations. Disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It's not just that they do them, but they like it. We sin because we like it. The world sins because they like it. That's all they know. They are deceived and blinded. And they are absolutely rebelling against the only one that can save them. What has happened here, as one commentator puts it, in the absence of any well-regulated government, it is easy to imagine what evils would arise. Men did what was right in their own eyes, and having no fear of God, destruction and misery were in their ways. Romans chapter 3 talks about how sinful they were, but it's summed up in Romans 3.18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Where there is no fear of God, there will be absolutely nothing but idolatry, immorality, inventing evil thoughts and evil, um, uh, only evil uh, thoughts and imagination, only evil, continuously. That's it. But notice this. Would we say the world is bad today? Yeah. Would you say it's probably the worst it's ever been in your lifetime? Yeah. And it's got a ways to go. But that's not a doom and gloom message. 
matter of fact, what that tells me is that the Bible's right. It tells me that God's Word is to be trusted and it tells me that time is very short. And that time is not just short, but it's very precious. That we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. That's what the Bible still tells us. Now I wanted to include that commentator in what he talks about that there was no established government yet in this sense. Here's where we got this other handout. Y'all see this one? Nice. I'll pretend to be Vanna White up here. There we go. All right. Now these are the dispensations. Here's the idea of a dispensation. There we go, if I can say it, right? A dispensation is basically a system of order, of ruling. It is what you and I might call a theocracy. Theocracy, the second part of the word, is the idea of ruling or law, uh, order. Uh, and the first word being theos, meaning God. This is how God rules, orders, and governs His people and through His people. Notice this, God does not need anybody, but He chooses to use in anybody who is willing to submit to Him by faith. Praise God for that. So here's what we find. In these dispensations, this is the way that many have uh, come about to try to see the Bible and, and the way in which God has ordained and uh, worked through His people and how He's working today. They're often referred to as different ages, times, types of order and rule. And we've already covered several of them, by the way, in our study of Genesis. You can see innocency, Genesis chapter 1 through 3. This is before the fall, if you will. They had responsibilities to keep the garden, don't eat the fruit, fill the earth, subdue the earth, fellowship with God. The judgments came, curses and physical and spiritual death. Then we have the conscience, Genesis 3 through 8. We've got this idea of you must do that which is right. You must obey God. And we find the, the real root of that is that men called upon the name of the Lord. That's faith. But the judgment would come and it would be the flood. And by the way, this is coming from the book Dispensationalism by Dr. Charles Ryrie. Highly recommend him. He's got a great study Bible. He's got a lot of great... Um, uh, uh, he's got one, if you're looking to help study just different theology, doctrines, he's got one called Basic Theology. That helps. Very concise, very clean, very easy to use. And he's got a plethora of other books that cover a wide variety of things. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we go through... We get then into Genesis 8 through 11. We have civil government. Here, the responsibility is to fill the earth. Capital punishment is established. Law and order, rules. Um, th then the judgment would be the forced scattering by confused language. That would take place at Babel. Because they would cause their own government to reject God's government. Right? The idea of government in the first place is not to rule as we think we ought to, but to rule as God says we ought to. Here's, here's the government's job for your life. You ready? The government is only responsible to do one thing and one thing only. That is to rule justly as God has ordained. And so this is why when the government does not, there's an issue. Regardless of who's in charge. Regardless of what party. There's corruption on both. Why? Because where you have man, you'll have corruption. And so we're living in a day of, of, of all sorts of issues. Furthermore, we're going to get more into this in Genesis, the patriarchal rule. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the descendants, if you will. Uh, this is where the uh, covenants are going to begin to be given to, to, uh, from God to His people. They're to be able to go into the promised land to believe and obey. It, it, a lot of the covenant becomes um, uh, if you know, this sort of keeping and, and, and walking with the Lord and trusting Him. All of this is by grace through faith, mind you. But the judgment will be Egyptian bondage and wilderness wanderings. Then we have the Mosaic Law. 
from Exodus to Acts, it's essentially all under the Old Covenant, these, these dispensations. The first five are essentially the Old Covenant here. Keep the law, walk with God. But the judgments for it would be they would go into captivity. This would happen all throughout the nation of Israel's history. But then we have grace. Praise God for grace. This is what we're living in today, if you will. This is what we also refer to this age of grace also as the, the church age, where God is not necessarily um, working and operating through Israel. Now, Israel is still the focal point of end times eschatology, and it still must remain so. This is why we must still remain to, to support them. Nevertheless, what we find is that God is operating through His church, the body and bride of Christ. And then we have the millennium. This is the second. This will be installed, the second coming of Christ. This is not the rapture, but rather the second coming where He steps foot back on the earth, where He will rule for a literal thousand years. You say, well, what happens after that? It gets gooder. Because then His kingdom will have no end. There will be one final rebellion. God will squash that quick, fast, in a hurry. Hell, death, hell and, and death itself will be cast into a lake of fire. And you and I who know the Lord shall have our tears wiped away and shall walk with our God in a city of peace forevermore to only know His presence, to live a life finally as Revelation 22 tells us, and there shall be no more curse. So praise the Lord. Now, I give this to you just for you to tuck away and to have for your own well-being uh, for the future. And to plug in there, if you're ever interested in reading some, some other stuff, check out old, old Dr. Chuck there. Sorensen discusses this. He says, The word translated as corrupt can, among other things, have the idea of being rotten. This may refer to the apparent pervasive sexual immorality which filled earth as noted in chapter 6, verses 2-5. through five. Moreover, the earth was filled with violence. Jesus made comment in Matthew 24, 37 how conditions prior to His return will parallel those of the days of Noah. What we find is that things will get worse and worse sexually and worse and worse violently. That's what we're seeing all around us. However, here's how you know you're getting bad when you're finding both of those sins in the church and with Christians. A Christian should be the last one to have sexual perversion to be uh, identified with his life or to be violence, uh, to, to be filled with violence. You know what that shows? It shows a man who is not controlled by the Spirit of God. It shows a man who is not controlled by the Scriptures, who has not surrendered his life to living for God alone. We find that idolatry and immorality are rampant. Wherever you look in the days of Noah, that's what you find. The earth was corrupt before God. Notice that. It doesn't say the earth was corrupt before Noah. Noah's not the judge. God's the judge. And here the idea is the sense that everyone that's out there is guilty. Everyone. And I'm going to say this and, and be okay with it. It's alright. Even Noah but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, which tells us that Noah trusted Him. Noah wasn't perfect or sinless, but he lived blameless before God. Blameless is not sinless. Blameless, the difference between blameless and sinless, blameless sins but repents. Sinless is Jesus Christ. No one has ever been that, except for Jesus Christ. But we're called to live blameless, holy lives before God. He says, the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Now I believe this violence goes back to what we had talked about in the first portion of this chapter. We see these giants in the earth. 
that are offspring of the sexual immorality that's happening earlier on in the chapter. And it says that they became mighty men. Men were old, men of renown. The idea is that they were living, walking bullies. I believe these giants were absolutely filled with violence. Now, you go and you look at almost any, um, any culture. And by the way, you can find it on every continent, except for Antarctica, of course. But you can find in every continent stories of giants and stories of giants who were cannibals. You know how you're going to eat somebody if you're violent? And there's also some serious issues to even get involved with that. There's some wicked sin. You follow any pagan culture or even culture like we're living in today, which I would argue would be a pagan culture, but you look and you trace back history, there are tales and historical things that show that this was real. Filled with this stuff. The idea of being filled is that it's overflowing. Why? Sin cannot be contained. Sin is, what's that stuff, Virginia Creeper? Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Right? It just goes and goes. And there's not a thing you knew about. It spreads everywhere. There's no medicine. There's no cure on this side of the grave except for Jesus Christ. That's it. This is why we find that even in Genesis, all the way through today, all the way to the very end, there is only salvation by grace through faith. That Noah had to trust in God's promise and His provision, His Word and God's work in order to live in His presence. Wrong worship brings wicked works. The reason why there was such sexual perversion and such violence is because what you and I don't get to see in through all this, there's much mystery before the flood. But I can tell you, what happens after the flood gives us a great picture of what was happening before the flood. It does not take long for man after the flood, a couple generations, and they're already worshiping idols and sacrificing humans. I mean, if it just takes a few generations off the boat to get to that point, imagine what it had been like up to this point. Imagine what it's going to get like. Kinley writes, bloodshed and violence in the world is but a symptom of the epidemic violence in the human heart. Jesus talked about it. People say, well, you're not supposed to commit murder. Jesus said, yeah, that's right. But I can tell you what murder is. Murder is hating somebody in your heart. If that's the case, we're a violent people, aren't we? We're much more violent than we'd like to think we are. He even addresses the whole idea of the sexual perversion that's taking place in chapter 6 too. Jesus talks about it and He says, you're not supposed to commit adultery, are you? And they say, well, of course not. He says, well, I can tell you adultery is much more than going physically sleeping with somebody that is not your spouse. It's that lustful thought in your heart. It's there. You've committed adultery in your heart before you've committed adultery with your body. Every sin that you commit outwardly, it's because there's already been a sin here and here. The head and the heart. The head, as the head goes, goes the heart. As the heart goes, the hands. Right? As the hands goes, the home. Your world and everything around you will crumble if this and this is not right before God. We've got to get that settled. Furthermore, he says, God looked upon the earth. Behold, it was corrupt. Now, this isn't in your notes, but I wrote this down earlier tonight. Notice that. God looked. He beheld. His eyes have to gaze upon to judge even if you will, and only He has the right to judge. And here's God's verdict. 
He says it was corrupt. Now this is a contrast here. A beautiful contrast of Scripture that God is showing us here. Here in Genesis 6, God looks at His creation and He says, it is corrupt. What did He say in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 after each day of creation? That's right. It says, God saw and it was good. Here, now God saw and it was not good. It had been corrupted. It had been defiled. Who defiled it? His very creation defiled it. Sin defiled it. Man's rebel choice defiled it. You know how long it took? Five chapters. If we talk maybe timeline, a couple thousand years, you say, that's a long time though. We, we were doing pretty good. Not really. It got worse and worse. There was two people and they had one rule and they broke that one rule. And then everyone else after them followed suit because they uh, received this uh, uh, Adamic nature that is now cursed, living in a sin-cursed world with a sin-cursed body, only designed to do evil. And it got worse and worse. It is a sad day when God looks at His creation and says it is corrupt. I don't have a verse for what God would say in the year 2023, He looked down upon the earth and saw, and it was. But if I were to guess, I don't think He would be saying it's good. We're awfully corrupt. Furthermore, in verse 13, there's hope given. The verse 13 might not seem hopeful to you. But if we understand what God's doing here in verse 13, this is way more hopeful than verses 11 and 12. Right? Verse 11 and 12 is bad. Where's the hope in verse 13? And God said to Noah. Let me break that down. God speaks to a man on the corrupt earth. He reveals Himself all the more. As we've talked about, God could trust Noah because Noah trusted God. The more that we respond to God's revealing, the more God reveals. And here, God doesn't open up the heavens. And here's what, here's what you and I think, right? In our sense of justice and right, we think that God should have done this. Open up the sky. Behold, you are corrupt. Every one of you. Except for Noah. He's doing pretty good. I'm going to judge you all. You've got 120 years to the day to get your lives right or else rain and flood and judgment will come and you will all perish. Right? Zips it back up. <laughs> it makes sense to you and I. Why wouldn't God do that? Wouldn't that be better? God's dispensation, God's theocracy, He says, I want that one to proclaim my word. When God wants His word proclaimed, you know what He uses? Not the clouds. Not necessarily always signs and wonders. He does that later on in Genesis and Exodus. We'll get into that. Don't worry. But He says, I want a man to go to men. Because man needs representative to man. Job talked about it. So not a, a days, I need a daysman. Someone to go between me and Him. Me and the Almighty. 
The idea is someone who can lay his hand on me, someone who can lay his hand on God. Now, to do that, you've got to be perfect. But you also have to be a man. And we've never found one of those, have we? Some, of y'all, some lady's still looking for a perfect man. Ain't, ain't never going to find one. Jesus Christ, He's the one. Because He is God. And he is man. Perfect as God, perfect as man. Therefore, He is the perfect God-man to be the go-between. And here we find that He's going to use Noah by grace through faith to preach the Word. God speaks to Noah. This gives us hope. He says to Noah, and here's His message, and this just begins the rest of Scripture. Anytime God gives a man a message, it's normally not a jolly one. Normally the sweet messages get left for the angels to to come. The angels come. A Savior's born to you, O shepherds. Go into Bethlehem and see this thing which come to pass. Woo! That's good. Angels again. He's not here. He is risen. Angels again. You old dumb fisherman from Galilee, what are you standing up looking at the clouds for? He's the same Jesus going to come back the same way. That's all good news, isn't it? seems like when God has bad news, He takes someone that is unworthy, unable, and even sometimes unwilling, like old Jonah, to go say, go preach this one. Oh, they'll like this. Repent! The end is near! When I read Genesis 6 and I think about Noah's preaching ministry, his preaching ministry looked a lot like what you see on movies. Some scraggly looking guy with a cardboard sign that said, the end is near. That's his ministry. That's it. Turn or burn, get right or get left. I don't know what he said, but he, repeat, he preached righteousness and he lived righteousness. He walked with God. The only prerequisite, however, to be used of God is to walk with Him. That's another way we'd say by faith. He says, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. It's not a joyful message, but yet if you think about it, it is because God says, I'm going to do away with how it is right now, and I'm going to give it another chance. That's God's mercy. Every message of judgment is also a message of mercy because the fact that God lets us know that judgment is coming is an act of His mercy. And the fact that He gives time and doesn't just bring down the judgment. He could have just brought the rain then. But He didn't. That's grace. That's mercy. How startling it must have been the announcement, the threat of destruction. There was no outward indication of it. The course of nature and experience seemed against the probability of its occurrence. The public opinion of mankind would ridicule it. The whole world would be ranged against Him. Yet persuaded the communication was from God through faith, Hebrews eleven seven. He set about preparing the means for preserving himself and his family from the impending calamity. Noah's been given a heavy message. Noah's got to preach in season and out of season. But Noah's still going to preach. That's a life of faith. Preaching is not popular. Preaching is still not popular today. Matter of fact, I know, (laughs) 
that nearly every sweet individual that tells me after a service, oh, that was so good. I just enjoyed it. I'm going, did you just hear what I said back up there? Snotting and spit flying and all that. You enjoyed that? All right. Get, come back next week. We'll do it again. <laughs> but to this world, to those that are in the flesh, preaching is not popular. Teaching affects the mind. Preaching takes a sledgehammer to the heart. We need some more sledgehammers. Teaching can help here. But we want to gear it to where it gets here because what you think and what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. But Noah was called to be a sledgehammer in his day. Today the world's getting worse. We don't need to attack the world with kid gloves. Nor do we need to try to give them a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. We need the Word preached. We must be unashamed of the Gospel of Christ. Only preaching gets the job done. Noah was called to preach. I believe that Noah's message was much like Isaiah. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, all y'all's favorite prophet Habakkuk. I know you guys read that a lot. <laughs> you know what they all said? Thus saith the Lord. That's it. So what's our message today? Thus saith the Lord. God has spoken. We need not new revelation. We need faith to believe the revelation that's already been given. We need to preach. God has spoken, therefore we must respond. And hear what God is saying and He's going to wipe it off. The idea is to destroy gives the idea to cut off or wipe clean. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Phillips wraps this up nicely. He says, the end. The word comes from a root meaning to cut off. God had reached the limit of His patience but revealed the fact to Noah so that a weary Oh, excuse me, so that a way of escape might be provided for those who would take it. Even in His wrath, God remembers His mercy. Every time that we preach, it is both to pronounce the judgment of God upon sin and to proclaim and offer His mercy. Now, where is His judgment and His mercy seen at? Not just a time or a place, but rather in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus was judged so that mercy could be extended to you. Not all will receive it, but to those that do will know and receive everlasting life. They will be in the ark which is Christ. Today, we need to be so bold to do the same. It is not popular to preach, let alone to live as a Christian in today's world. And it will get harder. It will. For us to not expect it to get harder is to not believe the Bible. But what, do we, what, what will we do about it? One, we've got to get rid of the option that we've been living as independent Baptists for a long time. Y'all know what that is? It's, it's this. Option one has been this for us. 
the rapture's coming. I'm not going to have to worry about anything getting bad. So it's just going to happen. And, I, and I will, I'll never see the downfall of my nation. I'll never see my job get cut because I'm a Christian. I'll never see persecution. I'll never see any of these bad things. I'll never lose my job. I'll never lose family. That sounds nice. Now I'm trusting in the imminent rapture. God's going to call His church out of here. But He says, until then, you're going to suffer. But He says, but until then, I'll still be with you. I'll still empower you, strengthen you, enable you. What God has expected us to do, He equips us, enables us to do. He's given us what we need. So we want to escape because we just want to be comfortable. Comfort is a killer. So what's the other option? Do we keep going down that line that we've been going, or do we understand because the rapture is imminent, because the end is coming, and we don't know when the end is coming. Here, Noah, he's, he tells, God tells him, you got 120 years, Hoss. Go, go preach. I don't know if Noah has a calendar. I don't know if he's got an exact date, exact time. I don't know if, if he knew it was done because the ark got finished and then there was a drop that hit his forehead. He said, well, I guess it's time. I don't know that. But what I do know is this. God gave him the message. Noah preached the message. Noah lived the message. Noah was a message. His life was a message that God gave grace and mercy and Noah said yes by faith. What does our life say? What does our church say? What does our giving say? What does our attitude say? What does our personal heart say? What does our home preach? What do our lips preach? It must be Christ. And only Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this night. Thank you that we could look to your word. God, we thank you for the things that you revealed to us. Help us tonight, O oh God, to live like Noah, to walk with you, to know your presence, to trust in your power, to trust in your enablement, to, to live a life in such dark and difficult days. God, we know that things are going to get harder. And God, just to be honest, I don't want them to. Lord, I want to stay comfortable. Lord, I want to preach to people that love it. I want to preach to people that love me, no matter what I say. Lord, I want to preach your word and never have any conflict. But God, that's not what you said is going to happen. So God, help us now to trust in your Holy Spirit that will give us power, that will give us unction, that will give us ability uh, to, to preach and proclaim your, your word, not just from behind a pulpit, but in our very life, in our home, in our hearts, amongst our coworkers, amongst our families. And God, may you search our hearts tonight and see what are we preaching with our life tonight, Lord? What am I preaching? God, it's not enough that I preach words to people. God, I've got to preach with my life. So God, I pray that you would help us. May we trust in your grace. May we trust in your promise and your provision that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Hope to see y'all Sunday morning. And when you come Sunday morning, the second Sunday surprise is going to be announced. So don't miss it, all right?